Welcome to the Freedom Formula Podcast with your host, Marjean. The Freedom Formula simplifies real estate investing so that anyone can learn about how to gain time and financial freedom through real estate. Each week, you will find helpful tips and tricks and strategies from the top producers in the real estate investing industry. Let's get started with the Freedom Formula Podcast. Welcome everyone to the Freedom Formula Podcast. I am your host, Marjean, and today we are speaking with Jackie Shapiro. Jackie has actually spent over 25 years in credit and finance. As a consumer advocate, her passion is actually helping uh, credit challenge customers bring more financial stability back into their lives. I'm so excited to have you here today, Jackie. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure, Marjean. Awesome. So tell us a little bit more about your business. What solutions do you offer your clients? How did you get started? We're just kind of going into the background knowledge on this one. Uh, it's kind of one of those funny stories. I, uh, I was working in the automotive industry and the leasing part of it and doing the, the credit, the finance and signing contracts and working with the banks. And the owner of the company at that time, he had decided he wanted to retire. So I got a phone call. And it was a friend said, Jackie, you need to take a meeting with these people. They've got something I think you're going to love. And I'm always really open-minded, Marjean. So I said, yeah, sure, of course. And it was a credit repair company. Now, at that time, I didn't know what credit repair was. I had no idea how any of it worked. But when I sat down with them, I realized it was just a thunderbolt. It instantly clicked with my brain. So that was the start of my journey in what I'm doing today. And so as I continued down that path, I continued to learn and grow and ask questions like a five-year-old all the time until I started to really master what credit was really about. And I started to be able to sit down with the titans in the industry of credit, people like John Olsheimer, Mike Citron, and pick their brain and learn from them. And I felt that was truly a blessing for me. I took that knowledge and I created the companies I have today, which are Shapiro Hearst, National Advocacy Alliance, and Advanced Score Solutions. Shapiro Hearst really focuses on personal and business credit. And what I mean by that is when you have a life event, because with credit, it's never a question of if you're going to have an issue with your credit. It's only a matter of when it's gonna happen and to what degree. And that's true no matter whether you're a NFL football player, a teacher down the street, or you know the single mom. It, it doesn't matter. Everyone is going to face it. So Shapiro Hush is really built around providing those, okay, we had a life event solution that's needed. And the business side of it is really helping businesses understand what are the true credibility steps to build business credit and how does a DUNS number work? What is a Paydex score? So that's what Shapiro Hearst does. National Advocacy Alliance is where we take our consumer advocacy arm and let's say you had an immediate issue. You were trying to buy a home, but a brand new collection showed up in your credit report. Drops your scores 80 to 100 points and now you're supposed to close in three weeks and everybody is in freakout mode because there's no immediate solution on the table. And that's where we step in. 
I've been building relationships in the collections industry and the Fortune 500 industry for over a decade. And so generally, not always, but the vast majority of the time, when a situation like that comes up, I can navigate the internal compliance policies of that company so that they can legitimately offer a permanent removal of the account. Client pays it, but we get it done in less than 30 days. In-house record on that from the time we had a client file on our desk to the time the letter of deletion was in our email was eight minutes. And then wow, that's impressive. Eight minutes is very fast to be able to fix that. Yes. Yeah. We, um, we're very proud of what we do. I love it. And like I said, I'm very excited to have you here today because one of the biggest things that you can do to create the time and financial freedom that we also desperately are seeking here is by having this really phenomenal credit and then leveraging, leveraging that to get into other things, which we'll discuss a little bit later, but back, back to focus on you and your company here. So who can benefit most from your services? Like if I was in what situation, why, why would I want to call you specifically? There are a lot of situations where we can really benefit and be of value to the consumers that are out there. And that can vary from situation to situation. So think about credit and credit reports like kids. They're all highly unique, highly individualized. But that said, let's say that you're unfortunately facing a divorce. Well, there are things you should do proactively with your credit if that situation is coming up in your life. If you have lost your job, had a major medical event where you really need help getting back on track, if you are military and you have a security clearance or you're in the financial world where you have to have licensure, all of those situations require having good credit. If you're the consumer out there that is really trying to save as much money as possible, you need the highest credit scores or what we call the high achiever credit scores, which is 76850. And that's the area where you're not spending any more money than what's absolutely necessary. And that contributes to the bottom line of what a family can save and put into their financial wealth basket. There are a lot of, lot of situations where we can truly be of value. I love it. I know when we were originally talking, you mentioned that people are paying significantly more when they have a lower credit score. And I found that information incredibly useful. Can you maybe touch on that just real quickly and briefly um, for our, our listeners as well? Of course. So when we were talking before, I had shared with you some numbers that Peter Malouk, who is Tony Robbins' partner, had put together and how that was truly inspirational for me. I had been researching debt studies and following some of these trends because I really wanted to put what is the true cost of bad credit in one place. Peter Malouk's numbers look like this. If you save just $300 a month from the time you're 19 to 27 and it goes into a compounding interest account at 10% and you only save between 19 and 27 then you just let it grow. When you're 65, that account would now be worth $1.8 million. Now, if you take that in combination with what is the true cost of bad credit, the cost of bad credit 
almost triples the numbers that Peter Malouk put together. And so to add a specific example to that for your listeners, take an auto loan, $30,000 car over five years, it's good credit versus bad, good credit at 1.99%, bad credit at 14.99%. The good credit person on that $30,000 car, they will spend $31,542. The bad credit person, because of one, the only thing that's different is their credit. They just spent $42,812 for that $30,000 vehicle. So it's just one example, but the, the main point is that having great credit saves you money in almost every area of your life. That's so crazy. I'm, I'm such a bottom line girl. And when you're talking about a difference of almost eleven, twelve thousand $12,000, I mean, that's just for a vehicle. I mean, if you plug those numbers in for your house, what if you buy multiple houses? I mean, it's just astronomical the amount of money that it's costing you to have bad credit. So let's talk about more of the mistakes that people make with their credit. So, you know, from the beginning, rather than trying to fix it, what are some common mistakes that people make and how can they avoid them? Some common mistakes that I see, and I'm gonna hit on a couple of points. Let's talk about credit cards for just a moment because this is one of those areas where everybody picks up information and nobody really knows what the reality of a, the credit cards are. Yeah. So I would say when you've got credit cards and the percentages I'm going to share with you, these are only good for credit cards. Do not apply these percentages to any other type of account. So I get a lot of questions on, should I have a balance? Should I just pay it off? How do I optimize? And here's the bottom line answer. If we look at the top 1% of all credit scores across the country, those credit card balances are at 7% of their limit. So if you are trying to completely optimize every point available in your credit, having a small balance versus a $0 balance will actually give you more points. So to, to do that optimization, you want your balance to be less than 10% of your limit. That's the most optimal area. Now, if your balance is at 30% or less, it's healthy. You're not gonna get every point available, but it's a healthy balance. The day that your balance hits 50% of your limit, you will automatically start to suppress or depress your scores. And if you exceed your limits, you will take what I call the triple hit. That means that you're gonna drop your scores further, you're going to open the door for the credit card companies to actually increase your interest rates. And in the background information that you may not know, any other credit card company that's looking at you may look at that as a derogatory against you for approving a new credit card. Jeez, no kidding. Okay, so the trick there is just leave a very small balance on there. That's good to know. I've heard so many different things. You have to pay it off. You have to keep 30%, um, only keep a little. So it's nice to hear from the expert what you really need to do with that. Um, so that being said, what are some simple ways that a consumer can improve their credit? Now, obviously, we don't want you to give away the whole farm here. That's why they hire you to help them. But maybe two tips on, on how people can address their credit and, or maybe even look at their credit to improve it. 
So the first thing I would say is manage your credit as a whole. Don't get lost in, credit scores can change day to day. So don't get lost in the, you know, very small details. Manage it as a whole, number one. And I would say credit monitoring is a great, great tool. Find a great monitoring service. A good one costs you between $20 and $25 a month. And that's the best $25 investment I personally make every month. If you see something in your credit reports, an inquiry from a company that you're unaware of or a brand new account, you should immediately take action. You know, so be proactive is the number one thing when it comes to your credit. And, and just as a side note, when it comes to credit cards, Marjean, you don't have to carry a balance all the time. If you're going for financing, yeah, put a $5 balance on there. But you could literally use those credit cards three times a year and keep them healthy, open, and active. Second piece of advice for true long-term health is if you do have credit card accounts, let them build. You want to create what are called golden accounts inside your credit reports. And a golden account is an account that's in excess of 10 years old. Once you develop that type of account in your credit reports, it becomes the same as a foundation pillar for a home, but for your credit. So those are a couple of the things that I would say. Um, a third tip or trick, if you will, is if you have medical and if you have a medical incident or you have something that goes to your medical insurance, if there's a dispute with your insurance company and it goes to a collection company, that collection company cannot report it for 180 days. But don't let that fool you. If you have something out there and you have the ability to pay it, be proactive so it doesn't hit your credit report and drop your scores 80 to 100 points overnight to keep your, your credit open, active, healthy, and moving forward. I have a question that um, I've, I've heard along the way here. I've had people tell me varying different answers, but if you have, let's say an old, an old hit on your credit, you, you owe some money from let's say 10 years ago or five years ago, is it better to pay that off or is it better to ignore it? And, and the, the reason I ask that question is I've heard that if you bring it back up, the credit agencies then re-report it. Really great question, actually. So that's a two-prong answer. So look at it like this. A negative or derogatory account can stay in your credit reports for seven years. Bankruptcy or public record uh, judgment lien, those won't be on the credit reports, but they've got a supplemental report those would come up on. So look at your public records as a 10-year term that they're going to stick with you and just accounts like a collection or charge off at seven. Now every state has what they call the statute of limitations on the collection of a debt. And depending on where you live, that statute of limitations will vary. Because I'm in Texas, I'll just use an example with the Texas statute of limitations. So in the state of Texas, doesn't matter if it's a credit card, a loan, uh, a verbal agreement, all of, all of the statute of limitations is four years in our state. So let's say that you had a credit card account. It goes bad, doesn't matter why, 
but what the credit card company will do is they will leave the account open for six months without payment. Now, the reason they do that is because IRS law says if they do this, then they can, in their accounting department, call it a charge off or profit loss. When they do that, they can immediately take a large percentage of the debt and write it straight off the top of their taxes. This is the point when it will get sold off to a debt collector. And we're talking 90, 95% of accounts. There's a few that aren't, they're simply assigned, but vast majority are bought and sold on a spreadsheet. So you've got two types of collectors, run of the mill guy who's paying five to seven cents on the dollar. And you've got your Wall Street guy the Wall Street guy is paying anywhere from a fraction of a penny on the dollar to about three cents on the dollar at the most. And that's because they buy bad debt in bulks of 50 to $100 million at a time. But let's just say for this example that a run-of-the-mill collector buys it. And they even go to the, the credit card company and say, you know what, we'll pay you 10 cents on the dollar for the account. Right, so credit, the credit card company has gotten a write-off, they just got another 10% of their money from the debt collector and they're done with the account. They don't own it, they don't service it, they have nothing to do with it. Debt collector picks it up, and here's my disclosure to anyone who hears the podcast. Please do not misunderstand me. I would never tell you not to pay your bills or not to make your obligations in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But here's the reality of what happens. Once a debt collector has it, and let's just say you're a good person, you're trying to do the right thing, and you're following your common sense. Common sense says, if I have this collection and I pay this collection, it's got to be better for me and my credit if it shows that I don't owe anyone any money. Then the debt collector calls. Now, I would say 99% of everyone who hears this podcast will have had a debt collector call and they know how this goes. Debt collector calls and they say, well, you know, we're just trying to help you get this all taken care of for our client. And then they will tell you how this is going to help you and it's going to help your credit. And then they get to the end of the call and they do what I call their used car salesman pitch, which is if you pay me today, we'll cut it in half. Now, the normal person using common sense says, I was going to pay this. I'm a good person trying to do the right thing. It's going to help me. It's going to help my credit. And I just got a 50% discount. Now, it's not the debt collector's fault. Anyone who's working the phones doesn't, they don't teach them and they don't know how the system really works. And the system is broken, Marjane. It's broken. So it's not really their fault. But what actually physically happens, let's say that debt is five years old, like you said. Well, you go in and pay it today, there's a little bitty date inside your credit report. It's usually referenced as the date of last activity. Now, technically, it's called the date of first delinquency, which was five years ago. So when you go in and you pay it today and they update it today, that date of last activity changes from five years ago to today. When that happens, FICO's credit scoring algorithms picks that up just like it's a brand new collection, drops the credit scores, and in some cases it will restart the seven years that it will continue to haunt you. 
Now, let's say that you just simply, let's say the good person trying to do the right thing. This is where the statute of limitations comes into play. The account's five years old. Let's say it's $15,000, but now you're in a better, better financial position. Even if you called that collector and you gave them $20 worth of good faith money or you made an agreement to pay, guess what? You just restarted the statute of limitations and they could come back in and, and file suit against you for a judgment now. This is crazy. And, and I don't understand why they don't teach this in school, but I mean, really, if you think about it, they don't teach anything about finances. And then we wonder why we're all broke. Honestly, <laughs> that's one of the reasons I started this podcast is to educate the world on how this stuff works. So thank you so much for sharing that. That kind of just blew my mind for the moment here. Well, you know, this stuff isn't taught in schools. You can't take a class on it. It's not in colleges. And the reality is, unless you're in the middle of this every day, all day long, there's no possible way the normal human being, the normal consumer could have access to this information. And it is truly, Marjane, it is truly my mission to make sure that, especially for the next generation that's coming up, if you want to call it my legacy project, I love what I do, but my legacy will be to change the next generation that's coming into their adulthood, giving them the financial intelligence that they really need to understand that they can remove financial stress as part of the equation in their life. It's not going to eliminate life problems. We're all going to have those. But if we could eliminate financial stress, mind blowing, we can change the entire country with just that one act. I completely, completely agree. You know, I read a statistic, they say 50% of marriages into divorce and 60% of those are because of financial reasons, which is majority. Yeah. 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 It causes great stress and great pain in our country. So thank goodness there's people like you out there um, educating the world on how to do this stuff. It's just so important. I can't believe that as a consumer, it's near impossible for me to be able to do this on my own. That just blows my mind. Well, they, you know, statistically, it's not that you couldn't do this. It's not that you couldn't research and read the laws and go through the consumer rights. And it's not that we're not capable of doing it, but statistically, you would have to put aside a thousand hours <laughs> to actually get that knowledge ingrained and be able to, to effectively tactically use it. And we all just have a thousand hours sitting around waiting for us. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, what I could do with a thousand hours. <laughs> it's a commitment to the craft. It yeah. really is. And it's just as much of an art as it is a, as it is a science. Well, and this is one of the things that we promote on our show is, you know, you can pretty much do anything in this world if you hire the right people to do it for you. So rather than me sitting there trying to spend a thousand hours in something that I do not specialize in, I would much rather hire an expert in the field like you to go ahead and take care of it for me so that I can continue growing the things in my area of genius. 
Um, and I think it's very important and, and people a lot of times feel like they need to do everything on their own, but really guys, you don't, you just need to hire the experts like Jackie. So that being said, let's talk about businesses, right? Because a lot of my listeners are business owners and entrepreneurs. Why should businesses be worried about their credit and how can they, how are businesses able to use their credit and improve their credit? Okay. So when we're talking about business credit, Dun & Bradstreet is the largest business credit report provider out there. Now, that said, they're not the only business credit report provider. So let's, let's talk on a high level because business credit is a great and wonderful thing. It can be. I mean, you can't imagine Michael Dell going out and signing for a million dollars worth of computer parts with a personal guarantee. Once your business gets to a certain level, business credit can be leveraged for protection purposes. And generally, we all go into business and we incorporate because we think, okay, this is the way that I create a separate entity that is gonna be responsible for these debts and for the company. And the reality is that most business owners are still becoming personal guarantors for their loans, their lines of credit, for their vendors. And when you do that, it doesn't matter if you have an entity or not, you're still personally liable. And so you're not having that distinct bridge between your family and your business. So if the government were to come in and change regulations, let's say, where your business can no longer operate, if you're still the personal guarantor, then you're gonna be faced with a potential bankruptcy, paying out the business debt, or letting it go and potentially getting judgments and things of that nature. So business credit can be an exceptional tool, but I would, I would say that, you know, if you're really, if you're really going to be building business credit, then start with the business credibility steps. Make sure you have your business name, a brick and mortar address. If you're, if you're working out of your house, if you're starting small, even if you go to one of the big office complexes, you know, like I believe Regis has them, uh, there are several out there, but you can get a mailing address at a brick and mortar office. That's important. Making sure that you have an entity, that you're incorporated and that, you, that you've got a good business attorney that's directing you, whether that's a C-Corp, S-Corp, LLC, whatever is most appropriate for you in your industry. Making sure that your business is registered for 411. Business loans can be denied for something as simple as they can't find you in a 411 listing. Making sure your website and your email are at john at johnsplumbing.com. You know, so making sure it's not a Yahoo or Gmail or MSN account. Having your EIN number, and, and applying for your EIN number is free, it's easy to do, but you need an EIN number. Making sure that you have business licenses, so always checking with state, federal, local governments to understand what's required for your industry. Having a business bank account, merchant services. So getting all of those things in place. Once you have all of those things in place, then if we look at Dunn and Bradstreet, so they have what's called a Paydex score, which goes from zero to 100. 100 being your outstanding. The vast majority, unlike personal credit, 
business credit is really predominantly based on how you pay your bills. So if they can predictively say you're always going to pay your bills early, then you're going to have 90 to 100 on our score. If you always pay your bills on time, you're going to have 80 to 90, which is still a good score. So yes, there are some other factors that come into play, but the biggest predominating factor in a business credit score is pay your bills on time or pay them just a little bit early. That's great advice. And I know a lot of the business owners, I mean, we're always kind of robbing from Peter to pay Paul when we first start. So I hope everybody's grabbed a, a notebook and has started taking notes at this point. Jackie, you're just delivering so much valuable information. I really appreciate it. You are uh, most welcome. So as most of the listeners know, I'm, I'm in real estate. I'm a commercial real estate investor. And I'm just curious, how can owning real estate improve your credit and that being said let's look at it from owning like the single family residences all the way to investing in real estate how can both of those improve your credit well a mortgage in a mortgage account in a credit report is by far one of the most valuable accounts that you can have bar none it is also a factor in if you want to call it being in the 800 club High achiever scores are 760 to 850. So if you've got a 760, you guys don't need to, you don't have to. Some people are, have that personal mission of, I'm gonna have my credit scores above 800. But just realize you, if you've got 760 plus, you're in really good shape. But a mortgage can definitely help you on the way to doing that. Now there are what they call thresholds. Okay, so not to get too technical, but when FICO breaks down credit reports, they break us down into what they call scorecards. So let's say one scorecard is this person has 20 years worth of history in their credit report. They've got a paid mortgage, they've got an open mortgage, they have six credit cards. So they have all of these very specific factors and they'll group people that fit on that scorecard together. And there are a bunch of scorecards. So if we look at that threshold number for mortgage accounts and how many can you have before it actually starts to drop the score in any given category of type of accounts, mortgage is going to give you the biggest bang for the buck and have the least negative effect as you continue to build mortgage account after mortgage account after mortgage account. So definitely having that there is a huge, huge, huge plus. Now I know a lot of real estate investors that have leveraged credit cards um, to purchase real estate. So basically what they do, or lines of credit either way. So basically what they do is, let's say you have a $15,000 limit on a credit card or a $20,000 line of credit, they'll, and you're getting, let's say five or 6% interest rate on that, right? So what they'll do is they'll take that money and actually invest it into real estate deals that are projected to be at a higher interest rate than what they're paying. Now, I want to disclose as well, I'm not telling anybody that they should do that. I'm simply letting you guys know these are things that I have seen done. Now, if you're going to do that, you should definitely speak with someone like Jackie and a financial advisor to make sure that you're in the proper situation to be able to do that. So again, just the disclosure, we are not telling anybody to do this, but 
that being said, um, how would that look on your, on your credit? Let's say that you do use that line of credit or the credit card, and then you purchase, you know, an investment house in your name. Is that hindering you or helping you as far as credit goes? If it's a credit card account and let's just say you've got a $50,000 limit or a $250,000 limit and you max that account out, you're immediately going to drop your credit scores. So going to get additional monies at that point would be harder. If you can go and get a line of credit that is mortgage based and would be coded, you know, has a specific code to it that says this is for mortgage, then it has less of an impact on your scores. And, and keep in mind that the two largest percentages that calculate your credit today is payment history and debt. So your payment history is 35% of your credit score. 30% is the amount of money that your report shows you owe. So if you take that 30% and we're talking about adding debt into the credit report, just as an example, if you had a, a credit card that had a $1,000 limit and a $900 balance, this is a bad thing, right? Because the utilization rate, technical term, utilization rate would be very, very high on that account, 90%. So the further the distance we can put between the total amount of available credit that we have and the total amount of debt, the further the distance between the two, the more points go into the score. So continuing to invest in real estate Obviously, you need the highest scores possible. And so if you have a choice between a credit card or what they call a revolving account versus potentially a mortgage line of credit, go with the mortgage line of credit. It's better for you long term and lower interest rate. So let's talk a little bit more about your business. And thank you for sharing that. I think that'll help clarify things for some, some different investors. Um, but yeah, let's talk about more about your business. And when a new client comes to you in a credit situation, what are the first few things that you look at and why? The first things I always look at are what's happening to that individual, what's going on in their credit reports. And then the first questions I always ask are, what's most important to you? What are you trying to accomplish? What is your time frame? And what is your goal? Because if you just look at a credit report without asking those questions, you can't really help that person achieve what's most important to them. So it's always very individualized with my company. And I think too, you, you have to have a high level of integrity when you do this because people don't know what they don't know. And so when you go in to make a, a change in their life, if you're not doing it with integrity and you're not doing it based on what's most important to them, then the question really becomes, are you really helping that person and that family? And I would beg that the answer in a lot of scenarios where somebody isn't taking those things into account, that the answer would be no, you're not. Not the way that they, that they need you to. Thank you for sharing that, Jackie. And I am 100% on board with you. Always working with people with, of integrity. It'll save you thousands and thousands of dollars in the long run. And that's kind of a, a gut instinct when you walk in and you're speaking with someone. If your gut's telling you something's off, 
just get out of there and find somebody else. You know, you really want to find those people whose moral compass lines up with yours. So thank you for sharing that. Um, what separates you from your competitors other than your integrity, obviously, which is quite large, obviously. Um, but what is your unique value proposition? How do you separate your business from your, your competitor space? I think that there are a couple of ways that really separate us in our marketplace. And that is, you know, the, what my staff will tell you is my golden rule um, is that you never bring on a client you can't help. Regardless of the situation, you never bring on a client you can't help. So I would say that's one thing that separates us. I've talked to other companies in the marketplace and they'll tell me they've never reviewed a report before they signed someone up. Yeah, so that's a wow for me. Secondarily, because we've been in the marketplace for a long time, I realized many years ago that because credit reports are so unique, what one person needs isn't what someone else needs. So if you're in that situation where you're closing in three weeks and you need a solution right now, someone signing you up for credit repair does you no good whatsoever. It doesn't. It's just going to prolong the process, get everyone frustrated, and not solve the problem in the time frame that you have. So creating different divisions of the company that are specific to what clients truly need and solving those propositions or those unique situations, we're exceptionally good at that. So that could be a loan officer calling and saying, okay, Jackie, I've got this report. I've run my credit simulator. It's not showing me where I can get the points. Please look over this report and tell me how I can add the extra 10 points into this score. That could be solving that immediate you know, collection issue. That could be how do I optimize my scores fully? And the vast majority of companies in our space, they don't do any of those things. So we pride ourselves on mastering our skills and our abilities and being able to bring that to the for the clients. I love it. Thank you for sharing. And what is the major mistake you see from the newbies coming into your field? Lack of knowledge. They overpromise and I think sometimes it's not necessarily a disingenuous act. It's just based on either not knowing what they're doing or in the worst case scenario, just straight up lying to someone and knowledge can be replaced. The other is a, a different category in itself. Again, it comes back to integrity. You always, always, always want to be working with people of integrity. It's such a huge thing that people just assume that they know until they get themselves stuck in a situation because they thought it might work or they didn't listen to that little gut feeling inside of them. This is why I surround myself with experts like yourself, Jackie, who align with me as far as integrity is concerned. And like I've said, the moral compass, it's, it's probably the most important thing to me above anything else because knowledge, like you said, it can be replaced. People can always learn more. They can always seek out other advisors but having a good person that you can trust, especially when you're talking about credit, that is huge, huge, huge. So I'm really glad to hear that that's what your company focuses on. 
So let's talk a little bit more about you as we wrap up, Jackie. What is the next step in your career? Where are you headed? Well, I think that, you know, well, number one, I absolutely love what I do. I mean, call me crazy, but I really love credit. My brain gets it and I would never even consider doing anything else. I absolutely love it. But even though my core business is surrounded with what I currently do, it really comes back to my personal legacy project. And that is taking this next generation and giving them the financial intelligence they need to just eliminate the financial stress from the equation, helping them understand things like the difference between earning money and making money. Passive income. What are the three pillars of wealth? How do they get them? You know, how should they do these things? And they can learn this from the age 10 and margine, from 10 and up. And it's just simply something that has never truly been taught. And it's not information that our grandparents could have handed down to our parents that could have handed down to us. I mean, the world has changed from the Great Depression on. So it's, it's so incredibly needed. And it's a true passion that I have to do that. Which is exactly why I wanted you on this show, because I am right there with you. I can't believe they'll teach you how to make a doily in high school still, a doily, which is a little thing that goes, it's like a, almost like a coaster that goes on a table that is not even used anymore in this day and age, but they don't teach you how to balance a checkbook. They don't teach you how to um, fix your credit or what to even look for with credit. They don't even teach you how to pay off your credit cards. It just blows my mind that we are so ill-equipping our youth to go out into this world and make these financial decisions at 18 years old. And then we wonder why our company or our, our country is in the massive amount of debt that it's in. I mean, really. So I love that you're on that mission, Jackie, and anything I can do to help you with that, you reach out to me at any time. Um, I'm, I'm on that same mission with you. This is exactly why I created the freedom formula. So you did mention something that I want to touch on really quick. You mentioned the three pillars of wealth. Can you Mm -hmm. actually dive a little bit deeper into that? I would like to share that with our listeners. So when we teach the money game, which it, it, the basics are, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to go back to your question then I'll let you redirect questions from there. So three pillars of wealth. Once kids are learning the money game and they're getting their payday and they're paying their expenses, then they have a little bit of money left over. And once they start having that little bit of money left over, they can invest in business, real estate, and the stock market. So think about if you had a person, and we do this with the kids, if you had a child laying flat on the ground, and you have one kid that he needs to pick her up and make her completely level, well, you can't really pick them up at the arms or the feet. You have to have one pillar at the feet, one pillar in the middle, one pillar at the shoulders, right? We did more than six kids, but still, to have that level, stable playing field, you have to have diversification in what you're doing. In other words, it goes back to the old saying of don't put all your eggs in one basket. So when we teach, we teach business, real estate, and stock market. Are there more than that? Of course there are. But the principles and the conceptual learning of how to do that still come across as those three pillars of wealth. 
One last question that we always end with. What are you personally working towards to gain time and financial freedom? Mm. Um, I think for me, it's really just further development in my team, which they are amazing. I, um, we do a lot of development internally, uh, whether it's education and mastering the craft. We don't just teach our team, okay, here's how to read a credit report. We teach them things like, what are the eight secret credit scores? What does it take to be part of the 800 club? How do you estimate credit scores and differences and changes to help optimize a report? So we, we teach high level mastery skills. So further development in my team, uh, continuing to improve the technology systems that we have so that we can grow without me personally overseeing everything day to day. So that's where I'm personally headed and that way it gives me time to go scuba diving and traveling and teaching kids and doing the things that are most passionate to my heart. You hit the nail on the head. If, if anybody has takeaways from this one, I think the biggest two takeaways are surround yourself with an incredible team of really smart people who can do the mechanics of things so that you can go scuba diving or whatever it is that you really love to do. And the second is work with people of integrity whose moral compass really aligns with yours. The mechanics of things and the expert knowledge, that's why you hire people like Jackie. And on that note, Jackie, if people wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way that they can do so? You can find us on the web at shapiro-hurst.com. You can call me personally. Uh, my direct line is 469-619-0717 or call our main number at 972-996-6688 or again, shapiro-hurst.com. Thank you so much, Jackie. And, and for listeners, if you missed any, any of that, that will actually be in our show notes as well. We'll definitely have links and, and contact information um, to get in touch with Jackie directly. Jackie, thank you so much for being on. I truly enjoyed this time. and I think you offered a ton of great information. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Marjean. It was truly a pleasure. Awesome. Well, to listeners out there, thank you for turning, tuning in. And here's you, to your success. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.